If you, if you need a Bible, see one of the guys in the back, and they'll get you a Bible you can use. You might have a Bible app. You can use that. What we don't want is folks just with nothing, okay? God didn't go out of his way to reveal himself so you and I can just pass up on that revelation. Men have died for you and I to have the English Bible on our lap and to have the English Bible on an app, okay? So please value the sacrifice of people who, who considered it a, a privilege and a responsibility to get God's Word in the common day language. I'm hoping the uh, slides are working for my uh, sermon. So it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Um, oh, oh, it's there. I just can't see it in the back. Okay, I'm good. This is all new to me now. Man, I can, I can walk away, but I have to go like, oh, there it is. There's, I'm here waiting to, for it to pop up there. That's a separate one nowadays. All right, let me read, and you follow along. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 is a work of art. It's, it's masterful. It begins with the ugly picture of life without Christ. And it ends with the beautiful picture of life in Christ. It's a, it's a work of art, the genius, genius of, of the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon Paul and writing to the church at Ephesus, by the way, while he's in jail. Okay, uh, It's just masterful what you and I have been studying in chapter 2. The church is clearly in focus in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. It has one of the most biblical statements on the nature of the church. You and I can miss the significance of it if we don't pay close attention, if we don't pay attention to what's going on, we're not careful, because the New Testament often describes the church not necessarily defining it. In the New Testament, you're going to see many descriptions of the church. You'll be hard-pressed to find a specific chapter and verse that defines it. Word pictures abound, abound in, in, in the Scripture. That's what you find here in Ephesians chapter 2. And we have to be careful because if you don't turn, if I don't turn to God's Word for what it means to be a church, we're left to our own whim. We're left to our own creation. We're left to, uh, to, to just the whims and the caricatures and, and, and just some conjectures about what the church and who the church is. It's like if I went to uh, um, Versailles in Calle Ocho. That's 8th Street for the rest of us. I know some of us don't speak the divine language. I got you. I got you. I got you. So I go down there to Versailles on Calle Ocho and, and I bring up the conversation of politics. A death wish. No bueno. No bueno. I was down there the day that um, Fidel died. And um, actually, no, I wasn't. My, my son was. And he got the picture and he got a t-shirt. And, but can you imagine if I bring up, you know, uh, politics? I'm going to bring up politics in, in the midst of a room where it's probably going to get loud there's going to be varied opinions, and really no one has solutions. They just like to get heard because they don't let them speak at home. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's like, you know, when you go to the gym, I go to the gym. There's, there's two things. There's the real world of muscle and fitness and the science behind it. And then there's bro science. And if you've been to the gym, you know what I'm talking about, bro science. Oh, the 12 steps to hypertrophy. This is how I do it. You know, this is how you got to do this. And bro science. Hey, how, do I, how can I grow the 19-inch arms? Bro, what you got to do, bro, 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 bro science. And there's not really, there's no, no peer-reviewed articles. There's no science behind it. It's just, yo, this is what I saw on YouTube. Well, you know, you know if, if I had a pain, you know, shooting down my arm, uh, would it make sense to go to the coffee shop and solicit uh, opinions? No. I mean, I can do it, but I'm like, uh, I'm still going to be bad. You know what happens when you and I don't go to the Bible to talk about the church? That very same thing. We have such a poor image and a poor understanding of what the church is because too many people think about attending church instead of being the church. And you're going to see this, hopefully this morning. Uh, you know, the reality is for many, you know, 
attending church is one of the things I do on a Sunday morning in the midst of many other things. If I have a table before me of, of, of pleasures, of, of what I can do on a Sunday morning, I, I get to pick. One of them might be attend a church service. Another one might be go to the park. Another one might be go fishing. Another one might be stay at home at Bedside Baptist and listen to Pastor Pillow and Sheets. Okay? It, 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 there's one of the things we don't think who the church is. We just think about attending churches. And we, we don't, we, we, we go to church or we, we think the church is like going to the theater. We look for the right time because some churches have multiple times. Look at the right time. What's good for me? All right. It still allows me to get out and get home by the, for the pregame. Uh, yeah, that's good. Boom. Now, there may not be nothing wrong with that, but the problem is that's not church. That's just selecting a time. Let's face it, we live in a consumer-oriented society. And this thinking affects how we view, how we understand the church. We, we most of the time, again, think, where's the greatest bang for the buck? We walk in through doors. We, we start taking a look at what, what this place, you I mean, is this Walmart or Target? I mean, Publix is already too expensive, right? So, you know, when dixie went down, broke here in Broward, except for a couple of three places around. So, you know, what I need to do is Aldi the way to go. Uh, that's how we look at churches sometimes. Now, you should evaluate the church, uh, uh, but the preferences need to rank below what does the church represent? Who is she? Is there a solid commitment to Bible doctrine, to teaching the Word of God? Is there a, a, an emphasis on, on Holy Spirit-empowered, grace-driven holiness? Is there an, uh, a, an emphasis on, on serving the Lord and serving the Lord with gladness? We, we sometimes don't look at it that way. And, you know, let's face it, if you've been involved in a local church for any extent of time, you're going to be hurt. Somebody's going to step on your toes. Someone, you're going to be, you know, you're going to feel frustrated. You're going to be disillusioned. But isn't that a description of marriage? If you've been married longer than the, than the honeymoon... There's times when you've been frustrated, you've been disillusioned. There's the guy you thought you married, and then there's the guy you married. And then there was Miss Wright that you married, and then Miss Always Right. And I got my Always Right here too, okay? We call her Always and Never. So the, what, what makes it last? A commitment. And that's what we lack sometimes when it comes to the body of Christ, to the local church. We don't view it as through the lenses of commitment. Commitment is what keeps vital relationships moving in the right direction. Do sometimes these relationships, they crash and burn and they're separation? Yes, we, 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 we understand that. But commitment is what keeps you and me, you know, moving in the right direction when it comes to talking about the church and the verses that we have before us. Um, Help us to see the church for who she is, at least some of the uh, pictures. And, and Paul zeroes in on three pictures for the church. In, in our text, you see it as a kingdom or a nation. All right, you, you see them as members of a family. And the last one is the church is a building, but not just a building, it's a temple. Not just of stone and mortar, but a living, growing building. And we'll, we'll get into that in just a few moments. Here's the main idea. Here's the main idea. The main idea of the passage is that we as believers are being built into a building, a holy temple, a dwelling place of God. That, that, if you, that's, 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 the, that's where I'm hoping you will take with you this morning. After we're done, you'll think, okay, this is what God is up to. This is what God is accomplishing on behalf of His people in Christ. Remember, first three chapters are the indicatives. The indicatives mean what God accomplishes on behalf of His people in Christ Jesus. This is not you and me obtaining anything. This is God doing what only God can do. So God is the one that's building up His church. God is the one that's, that's taking care of business even here at Pines Baptist Church. Not only universally, but even locally. So let's dig in and let's see what these verses, uh, um, what we can unearth. Three things I want you to take a look at. Number one, the titles used. The titles used in verse 19, we're dear to God. Okay, there's, there's some titles there that remind us how dear we are to God. Uh, we've been reconciled to God. We've been reconciled to each other. And this falls under two categories. Number one, who we are not. 
You read it there? It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Stop there. So then. That's important because it ties in the flow of thought. Okay? So then. So then. Because, because, uh, the consequence of the preceding verses, because Jews and non-Jews, the religious and the irreligious, the Bible, you read it here, the Jews and Gentiles. Remember, Gentiles didn't call themselves Gentiles. They called themselves Romans and Scythians and Greeks. And, okay? But from a Jewish perspective, there was a Jew and there was the non-Jew, the Gentile. And the preceding verses says that he is our peace. He is, he's the one who's reconciled us not only to God, but to each other. He's made of two people, one new humanity. Remember, that was last week. There's one race. In Christ. And you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Amen. And now because you're in Christ, he's taken two groups of people that didn't like each other at all. Real racial hatred. And he has put them together. And what's brought them together is the cross of Christ. And because we're reconciled to God, we're reconciled to one another. Now we're no longer foreigners. We're no longer foreigners. Uh, not strangers or aliens. The so then calls us to stop the whining that there's, there's class divisions. That no, no, nobody here is better than the other. We've all been saved by grace through faith in Christ, right? If you know Jesus Christ, if you've been rescued uh, from, the, from the judgment of God, is by grace through faith. You didn't earn it, I didn't earn it. We're all on the level ground when it comes to salvation. I don't get to boast, you don't get to boast. So the reality is because of that, because we're one in Christ, so then, I don't have to, okay, define my identity by an external trapping. That's foreign to the Bible, and it's not even real. God doesn't see it that way. In fact, the only thing God saw was His people and no people. And now out of those who were far, He's brought them near. And those who were near, He's brought them near. And then together, they belong to Him. No longer the term stranger is xenos, where we get xenophobia. It's the word that for a short time resident, a, a, tra a transient, okay, the term alien or foreigner, okay, just reminds us that we're, we're, this is the person that's living in a foreign country, uh, not the one that they were born in. I, when I, um, when my family left Cuba, we went to, to Spain and then we flew in about a year after later, my Cuban passport is stamped 14 February 68 JFK. When I reached here, I was a, I don't even know if they use that phrase anymore after they gave me the shot that was felt throughout my entire body. With, I don't know, they load me up with a bunch of stuff, right? Uh, I was a resident alien. A resident alien. My father um, didn't, I don't, I think he went home to be with the Lord and did not become a, help me out, honey, did he become a, a citizen? I don't think so. I don't think so. So I went in 1996. For the 96 presidential elections, I said, I'm going to vote because if I'm in this country, I'm responsible. And if you don't vote, don't complain. You know, get out of my face. You don't vote, don't complain. Okay, I don't want to hear you. I really don't. I mean, I'll hear you. You know what I mean. Okay? But, okay. I don't want you guys walking out going, wow, what a dude. See what happens when you let Cubans in? You know? <laughs> we, we let, we let 100,000 of them in 1980 and we're still suffering. So, uh, no, 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 no. I'll hear you, but I became, so in 1996, I remember going through the process. Imagine, I've done all my schooling here. I do know Spanish. I can read it, write it, uh, speak it, but I've also gone through, you know, but at that point, I've gone through college and everything. So write, write a sentence in the application. Write a sentence. I love the United States of America. I mean, <laughs> I know my people and I know my country. Every time I always say, I love my USA. I, when, I'm, when I got my phone, I always say it because you know they're hearing. They're listening. So I'm like, hey, I love the USA. I learned that from my son. He was in the Marines. He was like, dad, you always say, I love the country. I love the USA. I don't know if he was scarred or true. But uh, so the reality is it cost me a hundred bucks to become an American back in the day. It cost a lot more. But with it came the responsibility. And the privilege, until then I was a resident, I was a foreigner. Maybe you're there today and you're working through that process. You're a foreigner. No matter how much and how well we welcome you, you're still a foreigner. That's what he was saying here. The two terms, you're a stranger and an alien, means that you don't belong. You're an outsider. But that's who you're not anymore. But God has reconciled you to himself and to one another. So now we go from who we are not to who we are. 
who we are. The last part of chapter 2, verse 19. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So, again, two, two parts to this. We are fellow citizens. Paul's writing in the first century, and in that ancient world, only two sorts of people lived within the city walls. We already met the first ones, the foreigners, the strangers. The second one was the citizens who belonged there by their birthright. They were no longer strangers. They weren't strangers. But here's the, here's the tie-in. Because of Christ, because of what God has accomplished. Oh, I can do this now. Because of what God has accomplished. Respect the blue right there. I'm going this way. All right. Because of what God has accomplished. All right. The, the reality is that you and I are not foreigners. You and I belong in the kingdom as much as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We belong as much as David and Jeremiah and Isaiah. We're not, they're not here and we're here. No, no, no. We are here. That's the beauty of it. We are fellow citizens uh, we belong to God's people. When you travel to another country, listen, it might be great, but you're still a foreigner. There's nothing like being in your place of birth. When I got, you know, when we traveled, I come back to America, it's like, man, America. Normally we say, America. America. I mean, the good U.S. of A, is she perfect? Of course not. You know why? Because you're in it and I'm in it. All right, so again, stop the whining. All right. So the, the reality, though, is there's not because you know what? My medical insurance is here. I mean, if I get sick overseas. It's a different story. I mean, I've never gotten sick overseas. I don't want to get sick overseas. I don't want to get sick outside of Florida, to be honest with you, because I don't know if Florida blue covers. I mean, I'm just, you know. So the reality, though, is listen. But the minute you're here. You're good. You can travel, but you're always a, you're going to feel, when you're a stranger in a strange land, you feel vulnerable. You can feel alone. You can feel unsafe. But when you're, when you belong, there's nothing like it. Having citizenship in the ancient world meant that you had special rights and protection. This is why when you read the, the New Testament, when, what they did to Paul and Philippi, they freaked out in Acts chapter 16. Because they, they, they take him and they imprison him and they beat him. Here's the problem. He was a Roman citizen. A Roman citizen, you don't scourge. That's one of the privileges. You can't do that. But they did. And when they found out that he was a citizen by birth, he didn't have to buy anything. He was a by birth. They freaked out. That's why, because citizenship brought some responsibilities and you enjoyed some privileges. So when you and I are reminded by Paul here that we're fellow citizens, he's reminding us that we have the power and protection of heaven. We are fellow citizens. Uh, as, we, as we encounter the vulnerabilities of our travel through this earth, we have the protection, uh, we have the privileges of heavenly citizenship. That's why there's no cultural divisions here. Okay, I'm no more a citizen of heaven than, than, than Yelnis is. We're equals, or than Rachel, or that Paul, or than Newton. It doesn't matter, or than Renee. We're all fellow citizens. We all have equal standing before God. This is how First Peter puts it. It'll be on the screen. I'm getting used to not seeing it over there. All right? It'll be on the screen. But you're a chosen race. Yep, there it is. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called or who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Here we go. You were once not a people. But now you are the people of God. You had no mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we go like, yes! But then he applies it. With privilege, with citizenry comes privileges and responsibilities. First Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this earth, now he's saying, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. See? So it's not just, oh my! Rah, rah, rah! I'm part of the holy nation. I'm part of God's special people. I'm dear to God. Yes, you are, child. But the reality is, you also have responsibilities. You have privileges and responsibilities. One pastor provides some sobering words. Let me read it to you. It'll be on the screen there. Our allegiance, then, is not the world, is not to the world, but to the kingdom of God. Our purpose as citizens of Christ's kingdom displayed in the church is to live for our king. We have no other purpose. Our destiny is to show His glory to the nations through the gospel and to glory in Him throughout eternity. As saints, pick this one is, hmm, I hope you're wearing steel toes. Then, if you're not living a sanctified and a holy life, you're a traitor to your country and to your king. 
You have no right to live as you like. You cannot dissociate or separate yourself from your citizenship. Tell me, what's the strongest sentence in that quote right there? Tell me, talk to me. Talk. Wait, wait, wait. You cannot dissociate yourself from the citizenship. Okay, anybody else? I got, I got my faith. Man, this is so liberating. This is so, I can just go like this and what's up? I, I, I have no right to be here? Oh, you mean from there? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you have no right to live as you like? I think that's the strongest one. It, it tormented me for the entire weekend. You know why? Because I think I have the right to live however I want. Isn't that what we say all the time outside of Christ? I mean, even as Christians, we say, I am the captain of my own. No, 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 no. If you belong to the king and you belong to the kingdom, you have no right to live like you like. Because it's not about what you like. Yeah, yeah, okay? The reality is that you and I exist, we love and serve the Lord at His pleasure. Not just me, you too. Because you're part of the same. We have both the same king. So we have no no right. I think this pastor hits the nail on the head solidly. You have no right to live like you like. So next time you think, and next time I think, that I deserve this, one of the most dangerous words in the, in the language. I deserve. I don't know, I can't do the head thing. All right? I deserve. Really? You deserve? What you deserve is condemnation. What you deserve is judgment. What you deserve is the wrath of God. What you have received is promises. What you have received is forgiveness. What you have received is status. What you have received is inclusion. What you have received is embrace. You don't get to live like you like. Yeah. Let that, at least that very little... Now, does that mean that I can't go on vacation? No. Does that mean I don't get to enjoy the good gifts of God? No. But what I do, what that means is they don't define me. I am defined by the status that I belong to the king. That's what it means. We are fellow citizens. But now it gets a little even tighter. Not only are we fellow citizens, we are family. We're family. What begins with a political image shifts from the picture of a kingdom or a nation to the picture of a family. And that's the progression. Okay, It's one thing to be a citizen of a kingdom. It's one thing to be a citizen of a nation. It's another thing to be a child of the king. You see it? You feel it? It's one thing to be a citizen. It's another thing to be the child of the king. That's why, that's what we are in Christ. God is the, our father in heaven. To be a citizen of a kingdom is a great privilege, but it's kind of impersonal, large scale. You know, uh, you know, if you're in the city of Pembroke Pines, within the city of Pembroke Pines, we share this city with about... Uh, Zadie, help me out, 171,000 or so, okay, 171,000, just in the city of Pembroke Pines. We're not talking about Miramar, we're not talking about Cooper City, Weston, Hollywood, or everywhere in between. Just the city of Pembroke Pines. I'm a citizen of Pembroke Pines, so Zadie and many of you here. Do you know the mayor, and when was the last time you went on vacation with the mayor? Do you even know the mayor's name? I do know the mayor's name, Mayor Ortiz. Okay. Do you know the name of your uh, city commissioner? I do. Okay? You may, you may not necessarily like them, but that's your, in fact, the city commissioner for our district is a friend of this church, has helped this church out. Is he perfect? Of course not. He's in politics. But come on. All right? <laughs> come on. But the politics is, it's the, but the reality is, I don't know him. I don't, but a family, I know the members of my family. That's so different. You see, in Paul's day, to be a member of a household meant refuge, protection, and identity. That's why you read all those long lists of names, okay, in the Old Testament when it says, and this one begot, this one begot, this one begot, because they're establishing names, they're establishing protection, they're establishing identity. On the screen, family is the place where you can be yourself and be assured you're accepted. Listen, I behave sometimes like a fool here, but you should see me at parties, okay? When I go down and see my sister, my brother, I'm not the Reverend Louis R. Acosta. I'm Luisito. I'm the youngest of the three. Better looking too, but you know, I digress. I was reminding them, you guys are older than me by much, okay? But I'm Lewis. And, and when I'm with family functions, I'm Lewis. The, 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 in my own immediate family, that's why there can't be that separation of a persona of a Sunday morning and a person that they live with. It has to be the same or else I lose credibility as a pastor, I lose credibility as a husband, I lose credibility as a, as a father, I lose credibility as a man. And so do you. 
if you have a persona on Sunday morning and then you, at home you're something all completely different. There's some type of disconnect, but you know what I mean. See, here's the deal. The, the church is the place of reconciliation and acceptance where you can be your true redeemed self. And that is an easier sentence to read than to live out. This should be the safest place because we're the redeemed of God. Nobody hears better, nobody hears worse. The reality is we all have a past. You just don't need to be defined by it. And this is the place where you should find solace. You should find fellow believers that are, that are, that are walking with you in this life and saying, man, it's difficult. I, 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 I'm wrestling with, with this temptation. I'm wrestling with that. I gave in here and I gave in there. And we, as we confess sins to one another, we are then encouraged by one another. That's how it's supposed to be in a family. That's why, you know, you were excluded. Now you're part of God's household. When your family, you're included. When the family gets together, you want to be there. Can you imagine? Every time I, I said, I said, hey, let's, let's get together. You know, dad wants to get together with his kids. And um, there's always, and nobody would show. Don't take it personal, dad. Well, how else do you want me to take it? How else do you want me to take it? Of course it's, it's, it's personal, because I've asked you to come, uh, and, and you don't come. But when you belong to the household of God, when the family of God gets together, you want to be there when they're talking about things that matter to the family, the things of the Lord. You want to delight in that conversation. When You want to hang out with family, so there's fellowships, there's, there's things to hang out afterwards. You find ways to build to build the bridges and to build into each other's lives. So when the, ta- the going gets tough, you have bridges, you have people you can lean on. Not everybody's a stranger. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. Is that Jerome? I seen him in the back. I mean, the guy's tall and handsome. But, but, but that's all I know. No. Hey, go, get out of your comfort zone. Get, hey, who's this? And who's new to the church? And let's get, let's, let's, let's get to know each other. We're a family. So, you know, and the family of God gathers for worship, you're there. If it gathers for a meal, you join them. If they meet to talk about family matters, not family members, okay, you talk, you meet. Okay? Uh, you're committed because you're part of the family. That's the difference between attending church and being a member of God's family. The titles. You're not a stranger and a foreigner anymore. Because God has reconciled you to Himself and to each other. You're a fellow citizen and you're family. And like I said, we, all, we have family. We all have family troubles. So if you have family troubles in the natural, you're going to have family trouble in the supernatural. In the church. But we work through it. We work through it. The titles, we're dear to God. Number two, the foundations are identified. We're secure in Him. Verse 20. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Stop there. Any builder will tell you that the most important part of the structure is the foundation, including this one. I can attest to this foundation here because I was around back then. Okay? I was around back then and I saw the, how they dug it, how they did their thing, and everything underneath this is what helps support everything above it. And the taller it is, the deeper the foundation. So the reality is how, when it comes to building a church, and by a church means not a building, but a people. When it comes to building a church that will bear up under attacks, persecution, the opposition of the world, and then last for eternity, how do you build it? What kind of foundation do you lay? Well, two. Two parts to that. Number one, you build it on truth. You build it on truth. That's why it says the apostles and prophets. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets. Limited um, number and there's a limited time frame. The apostles here in this text refer to the 12, maybe Paul, maybe James, the brother of Jesus, Silas. He's identified as a, as an apostle. Uh, there are qualifications for a uppercase apostle, not the, not the, uh, the, the apostles that nowadays you'll hear that they, they, they got that same, you know, they, they've auto, they're giving themselves that name of apostle, lowercase a, the uppercase a, they were chosen by the Lord to be sent out on a specific gospel mission. They were witnesses of the resurrection. They were taught by Christ. They were given power to do signs and wonders in order to authenticate the Messiah and the, and the gospel of the kingdom. They spoke with the authority of Christ in establishing the early church. The prophets most included both Old Testament and New Testament. Listen, if, if the reality is that we can't be calling each other apostles and all that. This, the, the reality is that this church... The church of Jesus Christ is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. If not, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't protect 
the reliability of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, you end up with a system that I can get on a, on a, on a chair and speak ex cathedra, and I can, I can, I can counter the teachings of, 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 of God's Word, and it's considered Scripture. Do you know that, that that does exist today, right? Where does it exist? It's called the Roman Catholic Church, where the Pope sits and he speaks ex cathedra from the chair, and when he speaks, he speaks God's Word, as if Jesus is speaking God's Word. And that's why they contradict. That's why they come with the limbo. And they come with all sorts of man-made traditions. And like them, anyone else, all the other false teachings and false religions and false philosophies of this world. That's why the, the plumb line, what tells you what's straight and what's right and sure, is the Word of God, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. When Paul speaks about foundation here, it's not that the reference to their personalities. This is not because of Peter or Paul or John the Baptist. or No, no, no. What it's saying is they had divine authority given to them to speak precisely under divine authority. Okay, the very Word of God. That's what it means. The foundation of the church rests on the very Word of God. So, it'll be on the screen there. The church is built upon the revelation of God concerning Jesus Christ and His gospel. It's not built on opinions or traditions or organizational structures or committees or elders or pastors. It's built on the revelation concerning Jesus Christ and His gospel. Amen? But that foundation, again, is two-part. Not only are we built on truth, number two, we are secured to a fixed point. Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. It says, so then, uh, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In the ancient world, cornerstones uh, came in two ways. One was the, the keystone or capstone. In an arch, it was the main one that you remove it, the arch falls. That's not so much the context here. The context here of the, of the cornerstone, the other use was the, the, uh, the, the large stone anchored at one corner by which the rest of the building would be sided, angled, leveled, and fixed. Here's the, here's the implication. God has established the church on His revelation in Holy Scripture centered in Jesus Christ. And to the degree that you and I remain centered to Jesus Christ, we remain a church. Amen. The farther we drift, the less don't get caught up with the bells and whistles. Take, remove the layers. Remove the layers and see what's being said. Don't get caught up because there's 30,000 people in one stadium. Listen, we're not called to gather a crowd. We're called to make disciples, right? So you can have a large crowd rooting for the Dolphins when they play any team. Because it's the other team's people, right? I mean, that's, that's what we... I know, I know. We got five Dolphin fans here. And, you know, if you've been to playing with the Dallas, you play with the Jets. I mean, you got the sixth borough lives down here. Okay. And Jets play. I mean, my gosh. It's everybody, everybody's, you know, okay. You gather in a crowd and they're, and they're, they're boisterous. They're they're excited. They're like, eh, is God necessarily there? Probably not because his name is being said all sorts of things with it. When we gather, strip it away. Jesus Christ has to be at the center. On the screen, this means the revelation of Jesus Christ as God's Son, who became a human being in the incarnation, lives a sinless life, dies a substitutionary and atoning death, buried and rose from the dead on the third day to ascend to the Father's right hand, awaiting His return to consummate all things, who alone is the Savior and the Lord of the church. That's what we mean. See, you're built on truth, anchored to the cornerstone. This truth cannot exist without Jesus Christ. We have many who try to build and they, they lay a foundation that's faulty because it's not anchored to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he, it must, it must. And the application is obvious. He is the centerpiece. Jesus Christ is. And if he's not the centerpiece of this church and if he's not the centerpiece of the church, then we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. And that's what we're seeing here. This is what God accomplishes on behalf of His people, okay, in Christ. He provides them a foundation. He, he, he brings them together. He says, and this I'm going to build. And you're built on, 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 on revelation, on authority that I've given to people. And all that authority is anchored in Jesus Christ, my Son. And they're not going to contradict each other. Because if they do, something has gone wrong. Something has gone wrong. Without Christ, the church cannot be built. Remove Christ and the church crumbles. 
So you have titles here. Again, the nature of the church. When they say, what, what is the church? You better start describing the church right. And it's far from a building as we see it, though we're going to see a building now. And that's the last point. Having looked at the titles and the foundations, we consider the building described. The building described. We're all vital to God, verses 21 and 22. All right, here they are. In whom, again, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Two key phrases there, in whom and in Him. Again, the centerpiece, who is it? Talk to me. Who? You don't have to talk to me from far, I'll just come get you. I'll just come get you. No, there's a cop over there, I'm coming this way. All right? In whom? I'm not going to pick on you because I just saw you sit down, kid. I saw you. Thanks for all the doing you were doing in the back, man. I appreciate it. All right? Right. In him. Again, it ties in the flow of thought. It's in Christ Jesus. It's in him. And by the way, it's all passive. You're not doing the building. I'm not doing the building. Oh, I can come real close to Christina right here. Oh, yeah. What's up? All right? You're not building it. You're being built. God is at work in your life. God is at work in my life. God is at work in this church. He's the one. You, this is a passive thing. You're being done. That's why it's an indicative. So we don't get big heads. I'm the one in charge of this church and I'm building this church and I'm big because I got the keys to this and I got the, are you kidding me? I got the keys to everything. You know what that means? I'm the janitor. The only person essential in this church is God. Everyone else is a non-essential. Okay? Because this church exists for the glory of God. And it serves God at His pleasure. And that's what we're seeing here. We're, number one, we're built, we're, we are built together. We are built together in whom? In whom? Jesus is the cornerstone. The church has, has its whole life in Christ. The, the building metaphor means that everything in the building is joined together by God to Christ and to one another. It's the unity. It's the unity. We're being built together. We really are in this together. We as a church, we're built together. Remember, keep, keep in mind that the immediate context here is Jews and non-Jews being rescued and, and, and recognizing Jesus as Messiah. He is Lord, not anyone else. And because they've been reconciled to God by faith in Christ, they've been reconciled to each other. And the best way to display the unity that exists within God Himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. There's no, there's no jockeying. There's like, hey, who's better? No, no. It's three in one. Does it blow your mind? Welcome to the club. Okay? The reality, though, is that the, the unity, He's brought us together, and now He's building us together. But now He mixes the metaphor a little bit. It's not that we're dead stones, we're living stones. We're living stones. The verse gives us a picture of the Lord fitting us together with one another. Listen, the, the, the individual stones are not much of value outside of the whole. Today you have the opportunity to see Doug and one of and his and the finance team or whoever's out there, and you can you know you can get one of those pavers when you walked up. There's pavers, right? Can you imagine if we go through the motion of of hey, pre-ordering the pavers and you guys get it and you inscribe it and like man, I want to put it there in the in the Pines Baptist Church Legacy Walk and man, I can't wait until I locate them and we buy them and we just leave them stacked. Can you imagine 20 plus years ago when, when we got together and we said, hey, let's build this building here and we purchased all the materials and we just stored them somewhere. See, the reality is that God is building us up together in the beauty of relationships and that's not always easy because sometimes people just don't want to be nice. Well, you still got to love them. And you gotta be love, you gotta love the unlovable because sooner or later you are unlovable. And you're gonna need the commitment of someone else to love you even when you are unlovable. And again, we know this from relationships that really matter in our lives. This is not something new. This is reality. We know it. And he tells us that, that the, the implications that in close relationships with one another that God uses for his purpose and his glory. And what is, what is the outcome here? Well, not only are we, are we being built together. Look at verse 22. We are spirit indwelt. 
And that's an amazing truth. God is building us together into His dwelling place in the Spirit. When the church gathers, the Lord is here. It's not just you. It's when the church gathers. That's why the Sunday gathering, that's why the daily or the weekly gathering of the saints, the weekly gathering of God's people is that important. And shouldn't be sidelined because of this or that. Or we purposely plan to miss it. Because I did this, or I enrolled my kid in that, or because I, I, I did that. Are you kidding me? God went out of His way to pour His love on your heart to rescue you from, from hell itself so you can take a break? So you can treat Him like a second thought? Like the aftertaste of Diet Coke? No! Again, does that mean that you have to be here every Sunday? No. But you know what I'm talking about. It's a commitment. It says that He's building us together. In the Old Testament, the temple was a special place where God met with His people. And He revealed Himself. That's why you didn't just show up to the temple. There was sacrifices. There was a protocol. You just didn't walk into the uh, Solomon's temple back in the day or Herod's temple back in the day and just go like, yo, what up? That was protocol. You didn't just approach God like, hey, like I want to. No. You took care of sin. You had to take care of sin before you approach God. And you only went so far. If you're a Gentile, this far. If you're a woman, a little farther. If you're a man, a little farther. If you're a priest, a little farther. If you're the high priest, once a year you get in. They understood it. And God did it that way to design this so you and I would understand. You don't approach God on your terms. You approach God on His terms. But He's done a wonderful thing. Through the death of Christ, He has torn down the veil. He has torn down the dividing walls. He has said, here, here, forget exclusion. Here's an embrace. We're one in Christ. And the word temple refers to the inner sanctuary, the, the most holy of places. See, God wants to remind us that where there is sin, there's going to be this, this problem with Him. It's going to affect us. So here's a question on the screen. Let me see. Yep, there it is. How much of our behavior would change if we sensed that we were gathering each week in a place where God and all His holiness dwells? Can you imagine next Sunday, as you and I walk in, and we enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise? We, we give thanks to Him, we bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations, the psalmist would say. But as we gather, we gather as one people. And as one people, we are living lives in such a way that the holiness of God is understood. And the holiness of God is making a difference. What, how would that change your Saturday night? How would that change your Sunday afternoon? How would that change when you and I prepare for next Sunday? We prepare our hearts so when we see one another, instead of coming and, and jumping to conclusions... We go out of our way to prefer one another because our hearts are right before the Lord. And the church that cost God His Son to purchase, we value her as much as God values her. So we see them and we prepare our hearts and we go, yeah, and how are you? And how are you? And let's stop and we pray. I don't have to see my, my usual little click. I want to get outside my little click and I want to sit somewhere else. I love it when you guys sit, other people, like I normally, Wagner's are over here. When if they were to sit over here, I'm like, whoa, what happened to them? Or, you know, Paul tends to jump around a little bit and the Hazes are back here today, and, but normally they're over there. And, okay? Well, especially, why? Why? Because when we gather, we gather to meet with God. That's what our heart should be prepared to do this very morning. So we pray, we pray, we prepare our hearts to say, as I meet with my fellow citizens of the kingdom, as I meet with the fellow members of my family in Christ, I can make much of him together, together. And in presenting my life in such a way that I can say, Lord, see my hands, clean hands, pure heart. The holiness of God is revealed amongst people. And those who are then here that don't know the Lord, they say, something's different about this group. Yeah, you know what it is? Jesus Christ. See, big picture. Big picture. This is why we do what we do. So what can we take with us this morning? 
how do we apply this? Well, let me just give you two practical applications. Number one, these promises, these realities only apply to Christians. If you're in Christ, you get to enjoy. You get to enjoy the promise of, of forgiveness, the promise of embrace, the promise of reconciliation, the promise that we're dear to God, that we're secure in Him, that we're vital to God because together He's using us to build something for His glory and our joy. Listen, we, we can be, we're, we're accepted only in Christ. So the question is, am I a follower of Christ? Have I, okay, have I come to that point in my life where I understand that I, I, it's not me. It's not up to me. It's, it's not going to be, uh, I don't save myself. Where's your confidence in? The fact that you're in a Baptist church, the fact that you're here this morning attending a church service? No, no, no. Your, 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 your assurance needs to be rooted and needs to be secure in Jesus Christ because it's not your good deeds. Christian recognizes that they deserve judgment but clings to the hope that Christ has offered penalty, paid the penalty for our sin. The good news is that offer of forgiveness is open to everyone. So the question you need to ask yourself is, Am I a follower of Jesus Christ today? Have I surrendered to Jesus Christ? Have I left a life of, of idol worship? And that means me. Because I'm the center of my world. I get to live like I want to live. I get to believe like I want to believe. I get to behave like I like to behave. Well, have you left that self-worship and, and, and said no? No, that's sinful. That means Lewis is God. Lewis is Lord. No. Jesus is Lord. That's repentance. A 180, not a 360, because if I do 360, what do I do? I turn right back to Lewis as Lord. So it's a 180. No, 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 no. I turn, turn away from sin. Anytime you turn away from something, you always turn automatically, you turn towards something. Right? If I turn away from Pines Boulevard, I turn to whatever's in front of me. If I turn away from Sandy, I turn to this well, every time I turn away from something, I turn to something. That's repentance, turning away, turning to his faith in Jesus Christ, embracing him for who he is, his, his person and his work. He's the treasure of heaven. He's my treasure. And whom do I have in heaven but you, O oh God? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh, they'll, they'll fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That, that, that's salvation. So, so have you made that? Have you done that? If you haven't, today is the day of salvation. And number two, there's no such thing as a second-class Christian. Okay? Yes, do we have our past? Absolutely, but we're not defined by it. Okay? There's, there's no Christian who is somewhere superior to another. As again, because I stand behind this pulpit, I am no, not superior. In fact, the Bible says that the path to greatness in the kingdom is downward. The least. The least. So if you think you're something because you're singing up here. Really? Again, I've said this to you before. God has angels that can sing to Him. You think you can pair? No. He welcomes the song of the redeemed. He wants to hear from those that have been redeemed. He wants to hear. Let's sing a new song. But don't think that because you're up here, or because I'm up here, or because I'm serving there, or because I'm behind the, the scenes in the media ministry, or be, wherever I'm at. Really? No, 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 no. We're all the same. We're called to serve the Master at His pleasure. There's no differences. Does it mean... That, you know, we're going to see every eye to eye all the time? Of course not. This doesn't mean we won't disagree. My wife and I, we, we have disagreements. We call them intense times of fellowship. You know that. We don't fight. We have intense times of fellowship. All right? And, and we fight and we disagree. And I'm wrong sometimes. And, and um, she's right most of the times. And, you know, and, uh, life goes on. You know, and that's okay. That's all right. And that's going to happen in the family of God. We're going to disagree. You know why? Because the, the ties that bind us are much stronger than what separates us, than what affects us between this or that. That's why the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude. Because we love one another, sometimes we're just not having a good hair day. And we just got to tolerate it. It's okay. 
If you're Sandy, you never have a bad hair day. You tell me that yourself. I'm not picking on you, bro. You tell me that, okay? Yeah, I know, I know. I could have picked on Matt, but I didn't. All right? But the reality is we're, gonna, we're going to. Listen, let me finish with this. One Bible commentator writes the following on the screen. The death of Christ has created a new humanity, a third race. In Adam, okay, in Christ, a third race, as it has been called from the early centuries. For the Gentiles, the effects of this were immediate and stupendous. Upon believing, these outcasts moved to the very center of God's purpose. Interlopers, interrupters, okay, became insiders, aliens, heirs, the lowest class, first class. This was and is a great miracle, a new humanity reconciled first to God and then to each other. Amen? Let's pray. You close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. As we, before we sing, would you ask the Lord to, to help you see what you need to see and respond how you need to respond? The Lord has brought us together, has reconciled us to himself and to one another and is busy building us together so we are then the temple of the Holy Spirit. We gather corporately. You don't have the right to live like you like. You left that right outside the doors of the kingdom of God. Nailed it to the cross of Christ and said, this is what got me so bad, living like I liked. Now I live like you want me to live. If you're there this morning, would you just turn to the Lord? Give Him thanks. Let Him know that He's your rock and your Redeemer. Lord God, be with us. Help us now to respond. That you would enable the response and we would purpose in our hearts to be the church. To value holiness. To value commitment. To value the embrace that you've given us, to value one another. To you alone be the glory. You are our Lord. You are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name and God's people said, let's stand, let's sing that song. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And while you're singing it, make this the time of response. If you want to come and you want to kneel and take care of business, Lord, that's fine. It's not right there where you're at. The reality is, what, how, and what does the Lord want of you even now? While we sing, you respond.